0: From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is the Seth Leipson Show.
1: Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. We do so uh, most Tuesdays uh, with our dear friend Hugh Hallman. He is the former mayor of Tempe. He's an educator as well. He's built a lot of schools and uh, helped uh, consult with uh, a lot of education organizations. He's an attorney in town. Welcome back to the studio, Hugh.
2: A thrill and an honor. Thank you.
1: I don't know if you caught this. Uh, caller last week's called in and said something like, Go Titans, and it took me a moment to catch up to what he was saying. Did you hear this? And uh, and and I asked him if he remembered Mr. Holman. He said yes. I said, "You ever listen to Hugh Holman?" He said, "Sure." I said, "Well, you realize he's the son of." Miss. He said, "I had never put that together. I just think it's fun. You must think it's fun too."
2: Repetition is the uh, is the essence of pedagogy. Yeah. You've said yeah. so. Apparently, anybody who doesn't yet know that uh, if you went to Arcadia High School, my father was the basketball coach for the 70s and early 80s. He was the women's basketball coach in the 80s. He was the football backfield coach in the 60s and early 70s, and a math teacher. And And he had a nickname. And he he was a brilliant musician with a nickname of? Hot Lips Holman. There you go. <laughs> did he? Did you know that? Uh, I did. Uh, but <laughs> did he like that? Was that okay? Uh, no, I don't, I, I don't think <laughs> okay. he paid it. My father didn't pay any attention okay. to that stuff. I but can... he was a brilliant musician, and I think uh, we, we sparred on whose version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow right. is the best, right. because the last time I heard my father play uh, in a in a big way was I was... Initially running for mayor in 2000, a race that I backed out of because my mother looked at me sternly and said, you have to finish the term you got elected to. You're yeah. not allowed to leave early.
1: Yeah.
2: I would have had to have resigned to run. And that night, I, I, uh, the next night, I agreed not to run. But my father, the immediate preceding evening, sat in with a bunch of 15-, uh, 16-year-olds who had a big band. And I had hired them to be my music for the evening. And my father sat in with them and showed them how to uh, improvise. And he opened somewhere over the rainbow with uh, lipping uh, uh, the slide all the way from the bottom note to the top nice. as the opening. And I, somebody was talking to me, and I just stopped. I oh. said, excuse me. And I listened to this, and it's a fabulous memory oh. to have. Uh, I don't know if you
1: I don't know if you have Netflix, but um, for the audience members that do, I've stumbled on a documentary on Louis Armstrong and I highly commend it. I'm I'm going through it very slowly. Usually I would watch it in one sitting, but there is so much there. It is so good. I highly recommend it for anyone who might be interested in the South, civil rights, music, African-American musicians, trumpet, uh, jazz, you name it. Um, I highly recommend it. Really good. Uh, an underrated player by professional musicians, I think. A very underrated. Very talented man.
2: My, my father used to make fun of his tone. That was the big issue my father it had with It was a Louis unique Armstrong's. tone. It was. He said he always sounds like he's playing through a pea shooter. Uh, but uh, it it was a unique tone. And you compare that to somebody like Wynton Marsalis yeah. with this pure, fat uh, openness and, and Louis Armstrong with a very narrow, tight uh, sound to it. By the same token, absolutely spectacular musician. And uh, it, it was his choice. To, that was his sound. Yeah, no. And not right. duplicated. That's right. Uh, and not easily duplicated. And his his skill as an improviser uh, is nearly unmatched. He's just spectacular. You
1: will be glad to know that I think it's fair to say the film is mostly narrated by Wynton Marcellus. So that would that, be lovely. You get that, that connection. Anywho, our graver business, frowns on this levity, as uh, my English teacher at Arcadia taught me from Shakespeare. So, Mr. Holman, we're a week out from an election. What's going on?
2: I have listened very carefully to you and, and Brandon Weikert, for example, in your conversations about what we should expect with the upcoming election. Uh, if I may promote uh, Secretary Bennett's show that you did oh, as no, a podcast that with, that, fun. that was Really, really good and got to show you off as a guest with a broad range of of knowledge and the two of you on social issues, uh, but also uh, entertainment and other kinds of things. But most important was to come back to what should we expect from this election? And it is that that I would like to discuss with you and your audience. To think about what we should expect, and I've got a few indicators of what we actually should ex- expect.
1: Is one of them a lowered expectation?
2: Uh, one of them is a lowered expectation, I think, by the Democratic Party. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit out on a limb. Okay. The the polling tends to. Air um, in the in the side of of saying Democrats are likely going to do better than they do. That's how we end up with a result like 2016, where the news media is completely shocked, shocked, I tell you, that Donald Trump would win that presidential election. And following the polls as closely as I did in that cycle, I was shocked based on what I was seeing in the polls. But there are fairly interesting analyses now about the state-by-state polling that's going on. And it's ironic that this week, just in the last couple of days, the corporate news media, the usual gang, has been beating a drum that somehow Republicans are manipulating polls to create a narrative that there's going to be a red wave to force a red wave. And of course, there is some impact on people that they will vote to be on the winning side. There is a little bit of that impact, but it's small. In fact, what you tend to get, and I say it's a counter impact, yep. that is wanting to support the underdog. And when you start seeing folks uh, beating up on one side, the tendency is to then support the underdog if you aren't particularly powerfully moved to one side or the other that that, that's the exception well it happens that about 80 percent of us in the middle are not all that powerfully moved to one side or another we have familial ties to our chosen party and will if we're an r vote r when in doubt and d's vote d when in doubt but when there's a, 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 a true fight on what's going on, I think it's a push whether or not the bent is to favor the winner or the bent is to support the underdog. And I think they counteract one another and it impacts people differently. There's number one. Number two, I am now watching and I was uh, gone here for a week and missed last week's show with you. And it was a sad day for me, uh, but uh, listened to Oregon uh, ads for Politicians and specifically the beating drums between the parties and the independent for the governor's race that was primarily getting most of the airtime. And it was almost identical to the third party kinds of ads we're seeing in the state of Arizona, that Republicans want no limits uh, on uh, or rather refuse any kind of abortion opportunity, that there is uh, a zero tolerance of any abortion. Extremist on abortion. Extremist on abortion and want to lock up doctors and and women. And then the Democrats uh, are beaten for being close to, to Joe Biden. Well, what I'm seeing in all of that is the candidate ads themselves for Republicans are distancing themselves some from Donald Trump because the folks who support Donald Trump don't really have any place else to go. And the Democrats are painting themselves as moderate Republicans. And what that, I think, tells me is both groups of candidates are pushing a little towards the middle. The Republicans less so because they're just trying to preserve folks who will vote against them because they are supported by or support Donald Trump. And the Democrats, however, are abandoning traditional Democratic positions. So all of the ads about abortion beating up Republicans on that extremist position are coming from these third party sources and the party sources, the candidates themselves are behaving as if they are moderate Republicans. And the proof in Arizona is in the Mark Kelly ads. Right. Mark Kelly is now running as a Republican. He is saying, I stand up against Joe Biden when I need to. Mm -hmm. And on the border. And there's all these ads with him down at the border, with ranchers at the border, protecting Arizona from breaches in the border. And you've made this point. If it were the case that we had a Democratic Party where individuals behaved based on their their own personal views and could break from the party line. We would see a whole lot more folks other than Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Cinema breaking from ranks. Of those fifty senators, you've got two who will stand against the party. The rest of them fall in line like sheep.
1: And one of them is not Mark Kelly, yeah, right? When exactly. people, that's yeah, that's how I put it. I said when there's this question about could we peel off a Democrat or two. It's never really Right, yeah, There
2: are two, and it's are Joe Manchin two. and Houston Sinema. Yeah. yeah, it's never and Mark so, so for the rest of them to be running like moderate Republicans, I think demonstrates to us where they think the state of Arizona is and where in other states they think their voters are. Because in the state of Oregon, which has been a Democrat-controlled state with a Democrat governor for 40 years— the Democrat candidate is running as a moderate Republican. So interesting.
1: Uh, We'll take a break here, uh, and when we come back, I'd I'd love to know if uh, in Oregon, for example, the Democrats are talking about a little bit being tough, uh, if they're talking a little bit in the direction of being tougher on crime. I I could see why Mark Kelly, would his thing here would be immigration. We'll pick
2: that up because you're teasing out exactly the kinds of things I watch.
1: Yeah, because I'm trying to think of what the local thing would be to drive to the center, and I'm guessing... Uh, yeah, Oregon has a crime problem that is I- imminent here, but we have an illegal immigration problem that is not as imminent in Oregon. But they have the crime one, so we'll pick up on that with Hugh Hallman when we come back from this break. I'm Seth. He's Hugh, and we will be right back. She
0: don't know.
1: Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sounds like we're in Sammy Kershaw Lane. That's pretty good for those of you that are listening uh, on the uh, app or uh, on the podcast. Uh, we went out with a Sammy Kershaw song and we came in with a Sammy Kershaw song. I don't know if people know this. He was um, he ran for lieutenant governor in Louisiana some years back as a Republican. In any event, if you are concerned with stock market volatility, I have an opportunity for you. I should say, my friends at Y Refi have an opportunity for you where you can invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises you can turn your monthly income on or off compound it whatever you choose and there is no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time your interest is compounded daily you're paid monthly and there are no fees this is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate and investing with Y-Refi, you will be doing well by doing good for others. You can talk to them, to my friends at Y-Refi. They're local. They are trustworthy. They're honest. I know them well. They are a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, 10.25%. Just go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888 y Refi. Thirty-four eight 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 yrefi 34 Tell him I sent you, uh, Hugh Hallman. We were talking a little bit about ha- how um, in Arizona the Democrats running their ads now are running them in the direction of uh, in the direction of the Republican Party or some conservative uh, positions. And
2: Katie you know, Hobbs walking along the border, looking tough.
1: Exactly. Katie Hobbs uh, walking on the border. Mark Kelly talking about he, he really calls Joe Biden out when he gets it wrong. Hey, if Joe Biden gets it wrong, I call him. out. I can just imagine that call. Hey, President Biden, it's Mark Kelly. Who? Senator from Arizona. Oh, yeah, the guy who's doing all our fundraising for the party. I've heard good things about you. Yes, well, I'm supposed to chew you out. Okay, right. sir. I
2: didn't like what you ordered for lunch. Yeah,
1: exactly. What if I call him out? <laughs> anyway, in Oregon, though, you were recently in Oregon, Hugh, and you said you were seeing some of the same thing, different issues, but same, same trajectory.
2: Same issues and same trajectory. Well, so while we have crime and crime associated with uh, border crossings, mm-hmm. Oregon has crime and crime associated with homelessness. And we have that, of course, in the city of Phoenix. You've, you've visited yourself. And what you see is a drumbeat in Oregon specifically because they have, between uh, Seattle and Portland, they have turned themselves into homeless camps. And the pushback that has flared up in the last six or eight months is significant. Both of those cities, and Oregon in particular, which saw during the Black Lives Matter summer, the courthouse, the federal courthouse being uh, being burnt. Uh, and uh, Molotov
1: cocktailed every day.
2: Yes. Well, you had to keep warm somehow.
1: The institution where you go to vindicate your federal civil rights. Correct. They were bombing.
2: And okay. in this instance... Uh, What it looks to me is that everyone recognizes that this election is a referendum on Joe Biden's leadership and what he has done to this country, not for this country. And it's things like crime, the whole culture war piece we're talking about, the destruction of education as a result of lockdowns and refusing after they got control to recognize how we could protect children and adults undertake education in a real full way and then of course there is inflation and immigration all of those things together and the the left wants to say well it's going to be about the economy and joe biden's doing his best in fact he has been pushing to stop it well let's let's talk about what really happened i think the american people are smart enough to know that when he put forward a $3 trillion uh, payday for his friends and family, that that had an impact on inflation. He followed that up with another $1.2 trillion in spending and arguably another $1.8 trillion. So while there was blame to be had, in my view, that Donald Trump pushed so much money out the door, almost $6 trillion, and we should have taken the heat to, to... to to limit that to some extent, especially given that with the Democrats playing, most of that money did not go to average Americans, about 20% at most. My son has the exact number. I'm afraid I don't. um, Went to average Americans. Most of it went to big companies that did things like buy their stock back, Boeing, and other companies that were using it, Amazon, to advance their their, uh, corporate interests, not because they needed the money. So now we have Uh, some complaint that Republicans played that game uh, during Donald Trump's last year. But At the end of the day, we have Joe Biden pushing massive amounts of money for green energy games and all kinds of other features that were not necessary, that were to pay off friends and family uh, that supported him, and ultimately is absolutely the driver behind inflation getting so out of control. And now it's, oh, gee, it's it's the fault of Ukraine. No, in fact, the war in Ukraine uh, came up after inflation started to get out of hand, when Mr. Biden, you were the one who said, oh, it's just transit it's not real this is not real inflation it's transitory then the war occurred oh it's the fault of the war and it's spiking uh, gasoline and other fuel prices and the answer is um, no, that's not really where the inflation is hitting us. Yes, it's hitting us in fuel now. But don't forget, Mr. Biden, your first executive order was to shut down uh, oil production in the United States. And now you have the gall to tell the American people you're fixing this problem by demanding that oil companies drill deeper and faster and produce more oil. And if they don't, you're going to tax them with uh, a war profits tax. You're now calling yes, it a war, war profits, profits tax.
1: Ta- that's right. <laughs> Though yesterday he was. Yes. This is
2: nuts. The man I can't can't believe he, he's not listening to himself sound like that big a hypocrite. But there we are.
1: Yeah, that war profits. I, I, this is this has been an interesting tug and pull of his own making with the energy companies in America for going on two years now, uh, berating them in public and then asking them to produce more, all the while shutting down their opportunities and closing closing down their lease, their their leases.
2: Uh, uh, and having to, as a result, go hat in hand yeah. to the Middle East and beg Saudi Arabia right. to open the spigots and now trying to punish them because they won't be a friend of Joe Biden and help him get reelected. That's right. And, you and I mean that in in sort of quotation marks. because This is a referendum. What happens in Congress is a referendum about Joe Biden.
1: Yeah. And I want to talk about. Uh, what that looks like if the referendum succeeds minimally and if it succeeds maximally but when these oil companies don't exactly trust him when he is encouraging them to do more it's hard to blame them when he is berating them every other opportunity that he can and deriding them i i i i i, I think he had that problem with saudi arabia
2: he has that problem he, across the board okay. so the the lack of candor And the flip-flopping on approaches destroys trust. And in international relations, there's no other coin of the realm. And once you destroy trust across borders, you have no ability to now change the outcome of things. He destroyed trust in Kazakhstan. Yes, I'm still talking about Kazakhstan. He destroyed trust. This was when he was vice president, by the way, when uh, Russia rolled tanks into Crimea He destroyed. He and Barack Obama destroyed trust in all of Central Asia and all of the Eastern European countries. So that's why they didn't want to trust us. Because gee whiz, you let you let tanks roll into Crimea after getting a treaty signed, thanks to George Herbert Walker Bush and Bill Clinton, that said Ukraine will be sacrosanct, Mm -hmm. and you pissed backward on
1: that. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and 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 it's it's really. Kind of something.
2: Retromingance, I should have used. Sorry. What was it? Retromingance. Retromingance.
1: I need to look that up. That's great. Um, (laughs) It sounds like a portmanteau. It's, It's interesting when these presidents do come into power as first termers and get their hats handed to them by countries that have no business pushing America around. I remember when Jean Kirkpatrick became the ambassador, she said, Ronald Reagan and I think America's been pushed around too much and we're taking the kick-me sign off our backs. We'll see if uh, we're going to be doing that in a couple of days. Hugh and I will be right back.
2: It's not so much...
1: Welcome back to the Seth Leafson Show. My audience loves words. We're a Seska audience here, Hugh Hallman. So just to give them the word that um, flew by so quickly and I had to look up, retro It is a thing. And uh, I'll just let people look it up if they want to use it. And uh, perhaps we can start a nationwide thing of it. Maybe right. maybe we can reintroduce that word colloquially.
2: Well, I think what's going to happen is that this the outcome of the upcoming election, so I'm predicting... Yeah. Uh, is going to be distressing for the White House and the staff there.
1: So much so, and
2: it may cause the president to be subject to retromings.
1: <laughs> so much so, retromings.
2: So um,
1: you're expecting a tide? Are you expecting a big tide? A, a, a flood? Are you expecting a trickle? Uh, let me let me let me let me put a little meat on that question, on the bones of that question, because you were talking about the polls in the first segment, Hugh. And it is still interesting to me with all the palpable frustration that one feels and all the even more palpable frustration one feels talking to fellow Republicans or conservatives. The polls are still very close, most of them. And I still can't get past the Pennsylvania thing, but the John Fetterman closeness with Dr. Oz, that may be its own thing. We can return to it. There is something about pollsters, though, not wanting egg on their face. So when people tell me that these polls are a little too heavily weighted one direction or the other, I'm willing to accept that that could be the case, but I also know their business model fails when they get it massively wrong. It's not in their interest to be wrong.
2: Dewey defeats Truman. Dewey defeats Truman is still the the example of how one gets it wrong in a really bad way. After the 16... Debacle for the pollsters. A lot of work went into by most of them to adjust their models to handle what they missed. But it's not a perfect science, and one continues to miss things when one doesn't adjust for the changing demographics that go on. In addition, polls like uh, Trafalgar uh, the the Republican, you know, the, Trafalgar is yeah, the example. Well, no, what polls that are roll-up examples? Oh, okay. So websites that do roll-up oh, polls. Yeah, okay are compounding those errors. Okay. And to the extent that there's a bias underlying the polling in the first instance, if you multiply that and my thumbnail is there's about 10 States out there where it's clear from the 18 cycle yeah. that the pollsters got it wrong in the Democrats favor, mm-hmm. meaning that Republicans did better than Democrats uh, or than they were supposed to do. So they are, their polls were bending in the democratic party's favor And it's not clear to me that adjustments have been sufficient to solve that because you don't have many tests. So you had a 16 cycle. You had an 18 cycle. You had a 2020 cycle, which still mispredicted how big the uh, result would be for Joe Biden. That's the reason we had all of the kerfluffle going on for a month and a half over what the outcome in, in a number of states was, because those were very close elections when those polls were predicting that Joe Biden would win Much more handily.
1: So I have been saying that I think Republicans are going to win in a big way nationally, but I think most races are going to be much closer than people think.
2: And I would say your other analysis on Bill's show, on Secretary Bennett's show, was correct that at the end of the day, these are local races, Mm. and that's why. What's going on in Oregon is an interesting study. You've got a Democrat, a Republican, and an Independent, and that Independent and Republican have now been funded by the Nike founder in both directions, and now they're beating one another up trying to win, which may change the outcome for the Ds. All of that's going on, and these very local experiments um, are only sort of in the larger analysis rolled up into it, but are not necessarily indicative. Right. And so every one of Pennsylvania is a great example. Uh, And frankly, what's going on here in the state of Arizona? Uh, Those are outlier issues. Well, they all really are. And you can't very easily generalize from these specific cases. We will have a result that we all look at as a general determination of the outcome. I do expect Given the directions I'm seeing, that at the end of the day, the House will shift much more significantly than the corporate press is now. I think that's right.
1: I think that's right.
2: That the Senate might shift by two votes. um, And that's because those Senate races, there's so much money and they're so high profile that it's more easily bent in a direction. What's going to be more interesting are the governor's races and then the legislative races down beneath them. And seeing what happens within states is going to be more indicative. And I'd like to come back and talk about what we think that's going to result in.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Let's do that when we come back. I am Seth Liebson, he is Hugh Hallman, and we will do just what we said. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As inflation rises and your dollars are stretched thinner, more people are considering a reverse mortgage. I'm here to showcase Bingo reverse mortgage and share how their trusted team can take some of the guesswork out of what they do and how you can benefit. Bottom line, a reverse mortgage allows you to convert equity in your home to cash or to purchase a home. To qualify, you must be a homeowner at least 55 years old, have sufficient equity in your home. A reverse mortgage can be your ace in the hole when it comes to actually retiring instead of dreaming of retirement. The fact is, most Americans won't be able to retire. Bingo reverse mortgage is saving the American retirement. Get the safety net you deserve. Call the incredible bingo team at 928-277-4476. That's 928-277-4476. Or visit bingoreversemortgage.com. Tell them I sent you and get a free appraisal reimbursed at closing a $1,000 value. Bingo ReverseMortgage.com. dot com. Veteran owned and staffed as well. Hugh Hallman is my guest and guest <laughs> sorry about that, I, Hugh. You know
2: I'm 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 freaking Indicate guessed.
1: precisely what you mean to say. <laughs> Hugh Hallman is my guest. Get these fricatives caught up with my consonants. And um we were just talking about what we're going to be seeing November 9th, maybe November 10th, in some cases, November 11th, because I so think these similar, will, some of the these way. will be very close. Um, but the national trend, I think, will be uh, a strong signal to the Democratic Party. I think it will be uh, what to expect. Uh, one thing is, uh, well, I'll, uh, you're the guest. What do you expect?
2: What I expect, if, if Republicans and I, I want to build off of, and I would recommend that people listen to the last show that you did with Brandon Weikert where you guys discussed your different perspectives. And I have a slightly different perspective. Okay, and it comes out of the '94 experiment. the The challenge Republicans have when they get regain control of things is they get in a hurry, mm-hmm. and the brilliance of the Democratic Party is to take it slow enough that they can continue to control the levers of power and move things in their direction. They got control in 1932 and hung on to that control until Ronald Reagan was elected, more or less. And otherwise, everything continued to move in the left's direction. As Republicans or conservatives, I think we would take that as a good example. And it will take us time to unwind things to get us back to a position where this country is much more stable economically and socially. It just, We have to be a little patient. And when we get in a hurry and we throw our friends under the bus because they're not doing it immediately and now, we lose the chance to control those levers of power and move it in our direction. We can rarely run straight down the football field into the end zone and do our touchdown dance. We most often have to run to the uh, to the outside and and stop the clock and set the next play and keep moving forward. And it takes patience and it takes time and it takes political leadership. So what happens after this election, if, as I predict, Republicans get control of the House and the Senate, is if Republicans behave carefully and move Rationally and slowly towards things it'll make it much harder for the crazy Democrats to get further control of their party I think Brandon you predict or Brandon did predicted that he thinks they'll go farther left and farther nuts if the Republican Party gets control
1: He did say that's right he did say
2: and I happen to view that that is not necessarily the outcome It's dependent on how Republicans behave We cannot risk giving fodder to the socialists, to the AOCs of the world, to allow them to beat their drums successfully by pointing at us as being a bunch of terrorist right-wing whack jobs. Abortion is an example. The American people are neither at the Nancy Pelosi extreme. Abortion can take place notwithstanding that a child is in the middle of being born and we only see a foot. I mean, you watch that debate. Is it Barbara Boxer, I guess?
1: But they've all said it. I mean, Katie hawks has uh, they, they, Mark will, Kelly
2: they will not they will not state their position. They refuse to take a position and they are then not held accountable by the press. The right has to understand that n- very few Americans are at the point where they agree that life begins at conception and that there is a movement now where the likely position where Americans are going to land is somewhere between 15 and 22 weeks. And that that will get worked out in 50 legislatures with 7,500 legislators working those things out. We'll have to be patient. And those who want a more extreme outcome are going to have to understand if you push for that, the likelihood is you end up losing the levers of control and Californians will take over. That's what I'm worried about. Do I think we can come to a great outcome? Yes, I do.
1: Let me pause you on that for a moment, though. Um, The Democrats, for a while, staked their all on the overturning of Roe versus Wade. They really did. They staked their all on the Dobbs decision. And it will be an interesting message to them if our predictions are correct that Republicans do win, i.e., that scare tactic didn't work. That could very well bring a huge change to the Democratic Party, which 20 years ago— had pro-lifers in it and some, you know, well-known pro-lifers in it until they got rid of Casey in Pennsylvania, uh, which would have been around 96, I think. So maybe maybe closer to uh, a little longer than 20 years, but not that much longer. They may realize that this was the dog that didn't bark and it's not barking for him anymore.
2: And I think that's correct. Um, It will be state dependent. And it depends on what the candidates who survived the primaries on the Republican side got themselves tangled up saying and how extreme a position they can be painted or corner they can be painted in. And that's where, uh, you know, I appreciate uh, our Republican primaries. But when we tend to elect people who have taken the most extreme position, we are less likely to win. And I'm not advocating that we give up conservative principles. I am advocating that we be tactical and strategic in how we proceed and move ahead to get ourselves to a position where we can make very important strides in policies.
1: Abraham we, Lincoln said, I want God on my side, but I got to have Kentucky.
2: Bingo. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Right. I've always I've been wanting to use that line for months. It just came out. <laughs>
2: there it is. And that the founder of our party in many ways, right. he wasn't the true founder, but he was the first president yep. elected under right. the Republican banner. And that the Democrats' result was to destroy the Union. They would not serve with with Abraham Lincoln having been elected president. That's a pretty extreme position to yep. take. Expect that from the hard left that if the If conservatives take seats in the House and the Senate, expect an AOC to be out beating the drum about how this is unconscionable, that these are not real human beings. And you've talked about it. The
1: Supreme Court is already illegitimate.
2: That's correct, that we we have to delegitimize our enemies and make them non-human. And they have been beating those drums. And I think your work to demonstrate examples of... It was Hillary Clinton, after all, who said that uh, that uh, George W. Bush was not legitimately elected right. president of the United States. It was Democrats who challenged the Ohio delegates, and that was okay. And now, when Republicans do it, it's anathema to democracy. That we are a party uh, that is seeking to overthrow democracy. That is their second big drumbeat: that abortion will be completely limited, and women and their doctors will be in jail. And next, that we are going to destroy the democracy yeah. uh, by eliminating. Eliminating uh, votes at the ballot. Well, it, it's funny. It's the Democrats and their rhetoric that are trying to paint Republicans as dehumanized.
1: Uh, let me come back with you on a final thought, too, if I can, Hugh, when we come back from the break. I'd love to elicit from you. And it's the question of uh, Branton and I went back and forth on this question, too. I'm not sure I'm in total agreement with him on it, but it's that issue of. Will the, um, will this, 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 this uh, shall we call it, divide ever be solved sufficiently to, I don't know, where we were as a country 25, 30 years ago if the Republican win is big enough? Will it send a message to the Democrats that they need to moderate or is Brandon, which I think it might, Brandon's of the conviction that more people will become more like AOC and Bernie Sanders? I'd love your thought on that when we come right back. These hours with Hugh Holman go so fast. Uh, these days go by fast. But, uh, Hugh Holman, thanks for spending some of your time and all of your brain with us. Um, we were talking right before the break about if the Republican victory is decisive enough, if, if it is obvious beyond peradventure that Americans are turning down what the Democrats are selling. Does that anywhere get us closer to bridging the divide that people, not always me, but a lot of people seem to wring their hands over? You understand the nature of the question.
2: I do. And I think there is a condition on my answer. And I'll start by saying that we have the right to hold elected officials accountable. And as those folks who insisted on lockdowns, as one example, without constraint, now want to be uh, released from their bonds. Amnesthetized. They want amnesty for having done to us because they're now saying, we didn't know, we couldn't know. And the answer is, yes, you could have. And those who were saying the opposite of what you wanted to hear were denigrated and eliminated from the airwaves and social media. I think about a line from a movie, A Year of Living Dangerously, in which a reporter ends up sort of investigating and understanding what was going on in Vietnam. And after he had been uh, uh, in country elsewhere, he's now in the United States and ends up in a very short conversation about what happened in Cambodia. And he's talking about the fact that millions of people were murdered. And someone said, but we couldn't have known that that would happen. The answer is, yes, you could have. Mm-hmm. And to be released from that obligation right. is our job. Good. We cannot allow people to be released from being held accountable Good. for their failures and errors when others took the risk and stood up and said, you are wrong and I will take the heat and the challenge and the difficulty for being so. Those politicians who did not stand up with us, you, me, Seth, and my son, Lewis. And shout from the rooftops as we did, letters to the governor and to the legislature saying, This is what the numbers say. This is what you could be doing. Stop doing stupid things. They should be held accountable, but it does require voters to be more fully involved and engaged. The second condition is the condition that it takes a great leader from the winning side, mm-hmm. and that is someone like Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm because when he gave his first inaugural address, the country was being torn asunder because of that. And he wrote, quote, On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. Here is a man trying to stop that war. But by concluding, at the end of the four years of civil war, he then added in his second inaugural address, quote, With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are and to bind up the nation's wounds, to take care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to all do all that which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations." It will take a Republican who can stand for that and put up with Democrats who won't.
1: Amen. Till tomorrow, God bless. Class dismissed.